The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. The last time I ever looked in my father's eyes was turning in time to see him about to bring his cane down in my skull. So nobody could tell me what my dad saw in me that made him hate me so much. And I grew up with such a profound sense of shame, which is to me, guilt tells you you've done something wrong. Shame tells you you are something wrong. Coming up, author and speaker Sheila Walsh shares how she has longed for closure and understanding in her life. appreciate you taking the time to tune in and I hope you're really blessed today. I know you're going to be blessed today. We've got Sheila Walsh with us. I'm Betty and this is James. Well, and here is a new book that Sheila Walsh has written, The Longing in Me, How Everything You Crave Leads to the Heart of God. Uh, You're going to hear Sheila tell some of the experiences that weighed heavily and that's not just past tense, weighed, but probably she will say continued away. Both of us had some uh, situations with the fatherless issues, you might say. I'm the product of a forced relationship on a hospice uh, practical nurse caring for the father of an alcoholic who forced his way on a 40-year-old woman and then showed up in my life as a teenager and uh, tried to kill my mother and said he was going to kill me. And I came close to shooting him in self-defense. And Sheila had uh, some heavy weights. I think probably our situation now is not so unique Mm. to what we find in not only America's population, but the world population. Mm. There's a fatherlessness, a father absence, even if the father may be in the house. There's something amiss. And that's part of her story, but it's an incredible journey. Would you welcome Sheila Walsh? And this story, excuse me, Sheila... We're glad to have you as, as, as part of Life Outreach and Life Today. You're doing a, a great job blessing our viewers. Thank you. And, and your participation in our mission outreaches. I want you to, to just really cover some ground because you are a gifted writer and a gifted communicator. I sense here that you're taking us on what I would say is kind of a life journey. And you're talking about longings and you're talking about things that happened that had a definite effect on you. So what do you want us to hear and what do you want people to get from the book about the longing? You know, it's funny, when I, um, before I started to write the book, I had this experience in an arena during the kind of glory days of women of faith. I remember I was sitting there and there was 15,000 women in the arena. I was about to go up and speak. My husband was there, my son was there, and I had this profound ache inside. And I remember saying, Lord, what is it? What's wrong with me? What is this? And I had this, I mean, I've never actually had, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I had this picture as if the Lord was taking me to a place where the arena was gone. And it looked like it was in this castle. It looked like it was Scotland to me. And I was invited to come into this room and it was clear to me that it was Christ who was sitting um, on this chair. And I knelt down at his feet and he put one hand on my head. And with the other hand, he did like that as if to say, nobody else gets to come in here. 
and I began to understand that there is a place inside every man, woman, and child, those who acknowledge the presence of God and even those who don't. And we don't know what that thing is, but I believe it's a sacred ache. It is a longing for God. He is the only one that can fill that. And we'll have it, I believe, partly until we see him face to face. Mm -hmm. But when you don't get that, you try and fill it with everything else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the woman who buys one more pair of shoes, it's really not a shoe longing that you've got. The person who goes and eats a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream when it stopped tasting good. The person who pops another pill when the pain is gone. You're longing for something more. And what I've come to understand is it's a, we were built to long for him. Yes. And it's I'm almost really like this little stamp in our heart that says, hey, you're not home yet. Mm. And one day when we see Jesus face to face, those longings will all be gone. But until then, we need to understand why do I respond the way I respond in a certain you know, given set of circumstances? Because if you don't understand it, you will repeat it over and over until you get understanding. Mm. And you come up empty until you get it. You do, and it's like Edward Burke, that famous um, Irish magistrate and I mean, great statesman said, you know, if you don't understand history, you're destined to repeat it. Mm. It's like the, the girl who grew up with an abusive father who then goes on and marries an abusive husband. Mm -hmm. Because as a child, you feel helpless and you almost try and recreate the scenario, longing for a different ending, praying that this time you can change the ending. The last time I ever looked in my father's eyes, was turning in time to see him about to bring his cane down in my skull. Mm. And honestly, what I remembered more about that night wasn't just the sound of sirens as the police arrived and my mother screaming. It was the look in my father's eyes, a look of absolute hatred. Mm. And I grew up thinking, I mean, my father took his own life. He committed suicide. So nobody could tell me what my dad saw in me that made him hate me so much. And I grew up with such a profound sense of shame which is to me, guilt tells you you've done something wrong. Shame tells you you are something wrong. Wow. And if you feel that, what do you do with that? You know, some people try and hide behind drugs or alcohol or, you know, food too much or too little. I found the perfect place to hide, you know, Christian ministry, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, who's gonna church, say to you, yeah, put church, down that yeah. Bible or we're gonna have an intervention. You know yeah. I mean? It's probably not gonna happen. <laughs> but God's the only one who knows if we're serving out of pain or passion for him. I read somebody said, um, the guy who knocks at a brothel door is really a knock at the heart of God. And I was like, yeah, right. Try, try getting that one past your wife. <laughs> but honestly, the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, I actually believe that's true. Mm. Think how many men are out there, you know, hooked on porn, one relationship after another. The next morning, do any of them feel better? No. Yeah, yeah. The woman who just buys one more outfit and you're in credit card debt, and nothing's touching that place inside because it really is a longing that only God can fill. Okay, how do you show someone to begin to make that connection? Because you've been on a journey making it. I don't think the journey for that connection or that closeness, I, I don't think it ends on this earth. You said until we see him face to face, but that doesn't mean we live empty or we live with a, a longing that is is so painful that we don't see progress. So what's, how do, you, how do you walk people through this? How do you help them walk it out? It's a shift though, James, because I don't, that ache, no, when Christ comes in, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you learn to dive deep into God's word and to worship, I mean, that fills so much, but there's still a little place left, but it's not the bad news. To me, it's the good news. It's a holy place. It's a sacred ache. 
it's, it's every single one of us can just get away from the crowd and find that place mm -hmm. where you just kneel down at his feet, feel the Lamb of God put his hand on your head and say, you know, I'm here, I'll always be here. But I try to encourage women to, like a woman wrote to me last week and she said, um, I'm trying to control my husband, but he's not listening. <laughs> and I'm trying to get my kids to act right and they're not acting right. And part of our longings come from good places. Mm -hmm. You know, women want, I mean, you know, we want to provide a home where our husbands are happy and our children are happy. But then if they start not to behave the way we think they should, what's natural can cross into what's manipulative and destructive. And we either you know, like over-spiritualize, mm -hmm. I'm just behaving this way because I don't think Jesus approves of how you're living, or we punish or we withdraw. That's what I used to be guilty of. It's like, well, you know, I'm still here, but I'm not here. You know, you vote yourself off the boat. And I'm learning that surrender is one of the most powerfully weighty words in the English language. It's not just waving a flag and saying, okay, I quit. It's understanding we can't control what's going on around us. We can't, if you can barely control your own habits, how can you expect to do it with your family? Mm -hmm. But to be able to lift those people to the feet of Christ and say, Lord, I love this man, and at the moment, I don't know what he's doing. Lord, I love these children, but they're going off in crazy directions. You love them so much more. So I surrender. And... And learn to work. Last week, I had an opportunity to go to the Billy Graham Library. And it's an, if you've never been, have you ever been? I have not. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's brilliant. Such a sense of God's presence there. But the real thing, I wanted to see where my friend Ruth Bell Graham, where her grave is. And I love what she wrote on it. It says, um, construction completed. Sorry for the inconvenience. You know, <laughs> she's finally home free. But what I remember she said to me was when, in the days when Franklin was really rebellious and didn't want to know anything about his dad's faith or his mom's faith. And she said she used to just weep and cry and get on her knees. And then she remembered when Paul wrote the church in Philippi, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer, supplication and thanksgiving. And she said, I suddenly thought, I'm not doing that. And it shifted. She suddenly started getting down on her knees and thanking her for the day Franklin would come to Christ. Thanking the Lord for the day when Franklin would take his father's place. There's such a shift mm -hmm. when you accept, I can't control this, but God, you are good and you have plans. And so over to you. And in the meantime, I'm going to worship. You know, I've, I've just looked, and, and I'm sure we can cut a picture of this in, but just yesterday I talked to my assistant in the office, and I looked up at a picture of Billy Graham carrying a golf club, walking back to a golf cart, and I'm sitting in the cart. <laughs> and if you look, and you can see it, sitting at the table in the Graham home in North Carolina, and Billy's very much in years, just a few years ago, couldn't hold a pen well, but he wrote, a message to James on that picture because I said, would you mind just signing this? And I didn't know it would be quite such a battle, but it was a greeting. But here's what happened. He walks back and he puts the club in the bag and sits by me. And I remember exactly where we were sitting. We're at the ninth hole <laughs> and we're looking across the lake at, at a par five. And, and by the way, he wasn't a very good golfer. <laughs> and so <laughs> quite a preacher. But he, he said, uh, did you hear about my boy? Did you hear about Franklin? And he sits there in the golf cart, and within about three or four minutes, he tears up. And he begins to tell me about Franklin coming to Christ. And he says, could we just go in and get a sandwich, and we'll play the back nine, but let's do this. I want to tell you about it. And T.W. Wilson was with us. And we went in and sat down, and he told me the story of Billy. Uh, Billy told me the story of Franklin coming to Christ. And it was exactly what you just said. 
And Billy said, well, the wisest uh, counsel I ever got was somebody said, always, you don't, you can't confirm what he's doing, where he is. You just leave him know, always the door's open, son, the door's always open. And T.W. then told at the table how Franklin had let the people know, even at his wedding, how, how broken he was that he had hurt so many. What a great, uh, beautiful conversion of the rebel, Franklin. We've been friends, and I love you, and you know that. So the, the fact that they were able to do just what you said, you, you turn this over to God and really leave it. You know, when you were talking about this journey and longing, and you and I both having things we look back on in our childhood that's painful, let me just ask you if this, this helps feel longing. When, I, when I'm, I'm reaching out and trying to know this Father, and by the way, if you could just know the Father, the ultimate father, whether we didn't have a father, had a missing father, had a, a father that was dysfunctional, whatever. We got the perfect father. And he knows he's not looking for perfect kids, but he just wants to love you with a perfect love. But here's what I found. If I can somehow move in and just say, let me, let me sense your heart. Let, let me look and see the way you see and feel what you feel. It's amazing that he seems to do that. It's like, it's like he's waiting not only for someone to love, but he's waiting for someone to love through. And w am I right in believing that the longing in us is fulfilled when whatever's in his heart finds a means of expression through a yielded vessel? Yeah. Is that part of where you find fulfillment Absolutely. when you're suddenly seeing what he sees and mm -hmm. you're trying to address yeah. it in harmony with his heart? Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. In fact, I, th I spent two years studying First and Second Samuel and the Psalms because I wanted to take this journey with King David. But at the end of it, the greatest takeaway for me was understanding no matter how great my longing for God may be, it will never hold a candle to his longing for us. Yeah. It doesn't hold a candle. And when you get that, I mean, I, I had a picture the other day of, I remember this horrible dress my mom bought me when I was just a little girl, but it was all she could afford. It was for the school dance when I was 12, and all the girls were wearing these straight little dresses, and she bought one of those foofy ones <laughs> that stuck out. I mean, it was awful. It was blue with white little flowers on it. And I, and I went to the dance, but I didn't go in. I sat behind the school all night because I thought they'll laugh at me if I go in. Mm. And I went home and told my mom I'd had an amazing time. But you know what I dreamt about the other night? I was dreaming and I was running across a field and I knew I was running into the arms of Jesus and I was wearing that blooming blue dress. <laughs> <laughs> but it just was this awesome picture of, you know what? I was there then. I'm here now. If you get how much I love you, you'll run into my arms every single moment of your life. And you know, we can sense that longing, I think, especially if we're going through challenges in life, if we've gone through loss, if we're, we're going through loneliness. Sometimes I've been around a crowd of people and I have a loneliness in I my spirit, mm -hmm. in my heart. And I know that when I get alone with God, that longing, that loneliness turns into a longing for him right. and I become fulfilled. And I, I, I find myself looking for those moments, anticipating those moments because God keeps the door open. Always. He's always ready. Come. It's Anytime. like the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15. You know, we think of it as a story of this bad kid and the good kid. It's not. It's a story of the father. Mm -hmm. It's like the father has thrown this ridiculous party. And whether you think you don't belong there or whether you think you deserve to be there, every single one of us has been given a place at the party because it's a father's heart. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just find myself, you know, sitting here, and I won't, I won't so much because 
you know, you don't do television if you if you have the heart of God toward people. You don't do TV because you're looking for something to do. Uh, you're you're really wanting to be sitting in the family room with you or wherever you are. You may be you might be in a bar. I don't know where you are. You may be in a hotel. It doesn't matter. But when I when I look out, I, I find myself just really wanting you to understand that if you would let God take you in His arms and pull you up to His heart, and you say, well, what will make me, you know, feel a, a peace and a contentment? Just Try this, Lord, would you, as you hold me and you say you love me and you love me and, and you're the shelter and the shadow, and as I just lean in, what do you want to happen through me? Now, just, just do this, ask him, because I believe this is his heart. Father, let me look out and see people as opportunities. Let me see them as someone that you want to touch, bless, assist, relieve in some way, and let me be an expression of your heart toward them. Does this make sense yeah. that this is what we do? Every single day, if we could pray this prayer, God, give me eyes to see today what I would miss and give me ears to hear beyond what somebody's saying to what's going on in their heart. Driving here to the studio, I stop at Starbucks, because one does. And there's a woman sitting outside, and the Lord said, go, go talk to her. So I sat down the sidewalk beside her, and I said, are you okay? And she said, no, I'm not okay. She just discovered she had terminal cancer. And to be able to put my arm around her and to lift her, because she's my sister, to pray for her, to put my arm around her and say, you know what? God heard your prayer. I'm heading somewhere else. But he said, no, go sit down beside her. God's listening. He cares about you. You heard, you really heard a whole download, a whole truckload of transforming truth during this little period. Your whole world can change when you literally become the person that changes someone else's world through the power of the only one who can change the world, the one who created it and who can correct our course. Would you just right now say, Lord, with all my heart, I want to start doing that. I would love to send you Sheila's book. It's in the bookstores. You may want to go get a copy for somebody, but tell you what I want you to do. I'm going to let you look in right now with one of our friends. And I mean, you don't want to look away. If there ever, ever been a moment when you're just sitting saying, okay, God, let's see if I can start doing what James and Sheila have talked about, what Betty's talked about, to I really see what you see and I move the way you want me to. We're going to give you an opportunity to see and you say, God, I want to see it the way you see it. And then I want to do my part expressing your heart. I think you're going to want to. Watch. In rural Africa, it is extremely rare to find a mother who has not lost at least one child before their fifth birthday. And what makes their loss so unbearable is a majority of their children's deaths could have been prevented. I mean, truly, if I think about it, I don't think I would, would ever see that uh, when I come to a country like this and walk into a place like this and I've got this precious little baby laying here. 
laying here so fragile, so tiny, and she is dying because she has no food. It's ridiculous when I think about it, and to, to, to also know that there, there's a solution. There's a solution. I, I... Having little or no food can be devastating for a young child whose immune system has not fully developed. The lack of nutrients can lead to severe malnutrition, resulting in critical weight loss, skin diseases, mental impairment, and if not treated in time, death. This little child was born in February and... Uh, died in May. Died in May. Right there in that cemetery area where we're bowing by those graves. Betty and I got to go and see school after school of singing children, and they would sing praises to God. And I remember after we had gotten them on their feet and we were trying to make sure everybody stayed healthy and could work, one of the school principals walked out with a missionary and said, well, now that we're okay, are you are you never coming back to check on us? And it was right where they'd been burying all these kids and now we've been listening to the kids that have had their health restored and it's a few years later and they're singing and they're in school. And I said, no, we're, we're, we just came to rejoice with you but we're not gonna forget you. And Betty, what we're doing now, because the viewers like yourself who look and you see a need and you say, we're gonna stop that death cycle and we're gonna stop the weeping over the little children and we're gonna give them a future because we're gonna give them food. And 30, 50 or $100 feeds three, five or 10 children for months. And, and you've been doing it. And you've been doing it for years and we've been saving millions of lives. Now, Betty, we're gonna start feeding even more at schools <clears throat> because everywhere we get it stabilized, if we can feed them in school, they keep coming to school. And, it, and especially the girls. The girls tend not to come because it's kind of their typical manner that they'll start trying to do some work when they still need to be going to school. And they're so helpful, they got such a precious heart. So what we're asking you to do now is help us feed several hundred thousand, 400,000 that we've got located in feeding centers, but also to help us feed at schools. And we can feed an entire school, say an average of 140 kids, for three months for $1,400. For $5,600, we can feed a school for a year. And we just believe that some of you looking in and seeing through the eyes of God and what he's put in your heart, I can do that for those kids for the next months. I can feed them for $1,400, or I can do it for a year. We'll do it. I believe you'll want to do it because God's enabled you to do it. He put it in your heart to do it, and you're going to do it. You're going to be his hands. You're going to be the answer to the need, the answer to the prayer of mothers that see their children with such need and I rejoice with you. But there's some of you will say, but you know what, when they get stabilized, I want to keep them in school. I want to sponsor a school for a year or for several months. Whatever you can do, you do it. Go to lifetoday.org, take your bank card, or you can dial the number, use that bank card, or if you want to write a check, make it to life, but call us and tell us you're mailing it, and then put it in the mail. And we have gifts to send you to help you in your spiritual journey. And this is a phenomenal gift. You are living your destiny. That's what God wants. That's why we're here. 
We're here for kingdom life. We've lost our life in your purpose, God, and we find it. And that really is the only place you'll find it, is in his kingdom purpose. So we want to bless you. And these women are so gifted that you'll see who the teachers are. We want to pass this on to you and say thank you for giving life. Thank you for giving people a future opportunity, even encouraging their education. Lifetoday.org or dial the number. Make the gift God puts on your heart. You'll be blessed and you will be a blessing. In remote and impoverished areas of Africa, families are suffering, facing death by starvation, and those hit the hardest are the children. Life's Mission Feeding Program is there, ready to feed and care for these children in crisis areas of Angola, Mozambique, and Sudan. With all of our previous reserves gone and Southern Africa facing its worst drought and food shortage in years, we urgently need to replenish our food supplies to reach 400,000 children counting on us. Your life-saving gift of $30, $50, or $100 will help feed and care for three, five, or 10 children for the next three months. Please also consider a special gift of $1,400 to help sponsor a school and help feed 140 children for three full months. With your gift of any amount, we'll send you the brand new audio series, Living Your Destiny. Hear five outstanding Bible teachers and women of faith share how to live the life God destined for you. With your gift of $100 or more, you'll also receive The Longing in Me by Sheila Walsh and Unashamed by Christine Kane. And finally, with your gift of $1,000 or more, be sure to request Majesty, our 2016 commemorative bronze sculpture. Please call, write, or go online today and make your gift of life to help feed and care for hungry children. I want you to see these precious little ones with me that just wandered up the hill to see what we were doing. And this just reminds me again and again uh, that for every single child we feed, that there are so many others that need the help. This is where we see our words go into action. This is where our love goes from words to deeds. Now that you've seen the need, we ask you to please go to the phone right now if you would. Just feel the prompting of God to act on what you've seen and act on what you've heard. I'm going to join you doing exactly that. I know you're going to be blessed with the Living Your Destiny series. And Sheila Walsh is one of those who, who teaches. And this is part of the, the gift. And it is a part of the entire teaching series, along with a book by Christine Kane. If you'll help us sponsor some of this school feeding, we want to thank you. And I want all of you in the audience to express appreciation and say thanks to Sheila. And I'm here to Sheila. We love you. Glad you're a part of this family. And thank you for sharing the longing in me. If you haven't visited the stream lately, visit stream.org. Make it your home page. We're going to try to give you understanding.
In his new book, The Stream, James Robison charts a plan for spiritual revolution in America. The Stream, available now online and at retail bookstores. Next week on Life Today, author, teacher, and speaker Anne Graham Lotz challenges you to pray in a way that moves heaven and changes nations. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.